Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey folks, that guys from here, IU Insider, Indianapolis Star. It is Thursday, February 8th, 2024. This has been, or this, this, this has been Mind Your Banners. Thank you for listening. Um, the shortest podcast in Indianapolis Star history. He's Mike Nislick. Um, quick admin note, I guess, at the front end of this. Um, we've been putting these on the YouTube channel as well as obviously all the all the streaming platforms, podcast um, sort of platforms that, that that people might use. I think we are going to start transition um, migrating the podcast video element over to StreamYard kind of soon. Um, it'll allow us to go a little bit longer. It'll be hosted more through either IndieStar.com or some sort of Gannett engine. Um, when that migration happens, obviously we will let everyone know about it. But just kind of to give people a heads up so that if you are uh, of the habit of consuming this on YouTube, you know that eventually in the not super distant future, um, that's going to change. So we move from there to talking about uh, Mike, Indiana basketball. We're going to do some basketball today, some football today. I want to lead with basketball. It's been a fascinating couple of weeks. Um, I don't think we podcasted last week. Maybe we podcasted before the Iowa game. It has been a little while. But, you know, kind of after the the ugliness of Purdue and Wisconsin, you felt like Indiana maybe steadied itself a little bit in that loss at Illinois. Obviously comes home and beats Iowa, um, kind of has to rally to do it after, you know, kind of, you know, comfortably leading and then letting Iowa come back and then sort of put it pulling away at the end. Then a really ugly at home loss to Penn State, particularly that second half, and you felt like that was sort of only continuing at Ohio State until all of a sudden it wasn't in Indiana erased to set an 18-point deficit and came back to win 76-73. It is fair to say it has been a uh, a mood swingy couple of weeks for IU basketball. Yeah, the only thing I know coming out of that Ohio State game is Ohio State's probably going to make a coaching change. It, it's not good there. It's not, but... <laughs> I mean, really, right? That's the only thing you know for sure. Like, Anthony if, if Field said something, though, about Indiana, and I don't know if he, he meant it to be as profound as it, it sort of landed with me. He said, he said basically, you know, I think we asked I'm him, still recording Mike Woodson's press conference, by the way. All right, well, we'll get to that later. We'll get to all the audio from Mike Woodson's press conference. Oh, an hour and 33 hour minutes. It was, it was, it was, 10, minutes. It was 10, 10 minutes. That's why we're moving this to StreamYard, so we can get all the dead air. We, we can Mike. get all that. We can put it right on there. Um. Anthony Leal said something. We were asking him something kind of about crunch time and and you know pulling together and whatever. And he said he called he called the night an opportunity to learn about winning. And you know, I mean, at least I wrote this. I think a lot of people felt this that that Penn State game probably pretty firmly closed the door on on you know any realistic path for Indiana to the NCAA tournament. There are unrealistic paths like winning the Big Ten tournament or you know, winning 70s last eight games and showing a consistency that Indiana really hasn't shown this year. But realistically, that door probably closed with the Penn State loss. And then when, when Anthony Lill said that, I just sort of thought, if you reframe the season away from 
sort of what would have been the, you know, if we talk about the range of outcomes of the season before it started, what would have been the, the positive range of outcomes, which would have fallen into the NCAA tournament. And you reframed it around basically something, you know, more on the negative axis or, or however you want to phrase that. Um, because people like you and me did say, like, this was a potential outcome for this team. They're the youngest team in the Big Ten, according to Ken Palm. They turned a lot of their roster over. There were some clear roster deficiencies that we weren't sure they'd be able to overcome, and they haven't really been. If you reframe this season more as kind of a young team trying to sort of recycle after losing a ton of production and obviously talent from the last couple of years into building something sort of almost like a, a new cycle, you know, it, it suddenly becomes – the idea of, you know, learning about winning suddenly becomes really important. And it sort of does frame really these last three games, maybe even four games, two of them wins, two of them losses around the idea of a team struggling, but not quitting on the idea of trying to make itself better, if that makes any sense. Yeah, but at some point they have to, I think for that to be true, I mean, I, I feel like your metaphor is like they're they're becoming they're from a caterpillar to a butterfly and coming out of the cocoon. They have to become the butterfly, right? They have to. Well, but the presumption is that they may not become the butterfly this season, but that this season can still comfortably set up something. I suppose, that... but if like if you lose the last four or lose if you don't if you if you don't actually learn the lesson, I mean, I guess you could learn the lesson next year, but then it's like you're going to lose other pieces and more pieces come in. I think you have to like find some momentum um, for these young players and actually show that you've you're, you're improving or, you know, cause I feel like every time you take two steps back, you don't learn the lesson. Right. And and I feel like that's what this team's done so far this season. And it's been hard to sort of say they, they got those lessons or they learned how to, you know, win in crunch time. So I think that's a possibility and I, I don't disagree, but I just feel like this team has been so up and down that it's hard to be like, well, they got it now. They've put it together. And, I mean, you know, Purdue maybe not the, the spot, but, like, if they were to win at Maryland, at Minnesota, at Penn State, you know, those three road games and, and take the lessons of that Ohio State game, maybe. But I, I do think they have to sort of go on an arc upwards as, as opposed to keep going back down, um, falling down. Like, no, which I, I think, think that's fair, I but like, I, I think the point of a team going through that kind of process is means that, you know, nothing's ever going to be immutable. Like nothing is ever going to be just like, oh, well, you know, like my son plays this this game on his iPad at school called Math Seeds. And it's you have to you have to navigate these maps through different continents or landscapes. And the point is, when you're done with one, you're just done with it. And you move on to the next one. And every day he's like, Dad, I'm on map 17. Dad, I'm on map 18. Like it, it, that process is not so like cleanly linear when you're talking about a group that again and, and you know people can see kind of measure this however they want ken palm has the statistic division one experience indiana is last in the big 10 in division one experience i only realized that last night um you know this is a young team it's arguably the youngest in the league and that means that sometimes you are going to do a little bit of this and yes over like the the long tail arc of whatever you do need to show that you're, you're building on it. If we're still having this conversation when Indiana plays Wisconsin and Maryland and Minnesota at the end of February, the beginning of March, then we're going to feel like maybe they didn't really succeed in that. Yeah. But, you know, it, it, in the same breath, it also does feel a little bit, I mean, and, and we can get into the specifics of either game, but like the second half of that Penn State game was was just a disaster. And I don't think there's any 
way to get around that, anyone who would argue that. And then to follow that on from, you know, into Ohio State, which actually I also realized this last night, other than the Wisconsin losing streak, um, Columbus was the, the like the, the longest sort of road drought. Indiana had the last time they won there was. But I mean that. I mean you know yeah you won on the but, road, but I mean that. No, but they were down eighteen points. There was no real reason if this team was still sort of on the downspin. There was no real reason for them to dig in. No, no. My my more point was that that road environment was like the least intimidating road environment I've ever seen. Uh, you've not covered enough games at Penn State then. <laughs> there, there, I mean, I've literally well, covered. Fair, but I mean, in terms of like, you me, you're saying it's like it was. You know, you could hear individual fans whenever you want. Like, I mean, it was it was bad. It wasn't, that was and, that and was I'm an apathetic that. fan base. In that a, was the end. It doesn't happen for Indiana at Illinois in a game where arguably they play a a better sort of forty minute game in, in the yeah. sense, of, you know, um, probably in part because of the crowd and the atmosphere and all that. But like. On the back of Penn State, you know, Iowa was supposed to be kind of this get-right win, and then they actually play well in the first half against Penn State, and then obviously the second half just kind of tailspins on them. And then that continues basically for about the first 21 and a half, 22 minutes at Ohio State. The point is, if this were a team that were just sort of spinning downward the way that, quite frankly, I think Ohio State is at this point, um, there's no reason for them to to try and arrest that, if you understand what I'm saying. There's, there's no reason for them to pull together – and fight right. the and and particularly because and, and I said this on our, our insider video after the game, it, it wasn't like Indiana just did something abnormal. Like they didn't hit, you know, four threes or score like thirteen points in a minute and fifteen seconds, and suddenly, boom, the whole nature of the game has changed. Like they had to be methodical and patient and collective about it. And you know, it, it just it, it. I think you're allowed to feel like it's a brick in the wall for Indiana now. Again. You got to be more consistent eventually, but it, it does feel meaningful for them. It does, and it doesn't, because I still think they're fighting the fact that their their roster is just not conducive to. I mean, they're going to struggle because they don't have much of a bench, which Mike Woodson talked about today. They're not healthy uh, with Xavier Johnson out. Khalil Ware is sort of on one leg, and you feel like the injuries are sort of adding up on him. Um, uh, along with the minutes and they're just not a very good shooting team. So I feel like it, it, it's hard, uh, you know, outside shooting, um, you know, so I feel like they're sort of still have to fight some of the, the basic flaws in the roster. And it's going to be hard to sort of overcome them, even if they learn those lessons, like they can't go every game and get nothing out of the bench, you know, um, you know, obviously Anthony Leal gave them something, but, you know, o- overarchingly, you know, they're just not, you know, Anthony Walker's been a non-factor um, last couple games. You know, Caleb Banks has obviously gone to not even being a part of the the, the plans right now. Peyton Sparks played very little. So I, I just think it, it I think it'll be hard for them to learn the lessons that they that they're learning just because um, of, of those problems that they have right now. Cause I mean, they're, they're very short handed. I mean, without Xavier, they go to nine. They're really only playing. I mean, they only played like six players yesterday. Two days ago, but yes. And that's and that has kind of been, I mean, you know, even in, in some of their wins, that's, that's been too persistent of a theme where, I mean, like, like the Iowa game, basically a seven man rotation. Cause of course, I mean, you at least get seven when, when, when Xavier was healthy or, or playing, 
You know, he had Cup as the seventh kind of guy, and Walker's been, you know, the seventh. Well, no, guy. no, in, the, in that game, Cups is that's the game Renew goes out like two and a half minutes in. Okay. So, so they, I mean, they they play Leal twenty two minutes, Walker twenty six minutes, Cups twenty six in that game, yeah. And they play Gun and Sparks five minutes apiece, but you know, the the balance of their impact winds up being three rebounds and a block. So, like, it's it it speaks to your point. Like, yeah, the benches. They're struggling to get the bench deeper at a time when typically teams are shortening their benches. You know, I think that that McKenzie and Baco's, um, you know, sort of offensive resurgence, I don't necessarily say has uh, tailed off because he's still scoring, but I think it's probably fair to say it's stalled a little bit in the sense that he's not still climbing in the way that he was kind of a month ago. Um, you know, it, it does... Well, I don't think their bench needs to be huge. They just can't rely on just six guys. I mean, they need seven, right? I mean, they need they need some. That's other where they guy. were at the end of last season. Tamar Bates and Malik Renew were the only two guys that really came off the bench. A little bit of Caleb Banks, but and they need it to be productive, like a productive twenty minutes. That's not just like you know, like you said, three rebounds and a block, or you know, you're cycling through, you know, four guys that give you nothing for that twenty minutes, which I feel like Woodson's trying to do, doing right now because nobody's giving him anything of no other than Anthony Leal right now. Yeah. I mean, and, and Leal, I mean, Leal's kind of the one that I think Indiana has got to turn to a little bit here. Obviously he has a really big game against Iowa, but you just kind of take the last four games. I mean, you know, this is a guy who's played more minutes in each of the last four games than he played in any game before then he's played. Well, I looked this up. So he, this is his only second time he's played four straight games with double digit minutes and he surpassed his season minutes in the last four games. I think he played 58 total in the first, what, 16 games, and he surpassed that. So He played 57 minutes up to and including the Wisconsin. He didn't play at Wisconsin, but he played 57 total minutes in the season Yeah, before Illinois, and he's played 78 minutes across the last four games. And to be fair, he's earned it. I mean, he's, you know, he's, um, he's hit his threes, he's hit his free throws. You know, I mean, he's, I think, I think, Low key, you know, it's, it's not unimportant for this team, especially, you know, Malik Renew's been at, in and out with the injury. Kalel Ware's been in and out with the injury. We, we may see him against Purdue. We may not. Um, Leal's got 16 rebounds in the last four games off the bench, which, you know, guard rebounding has been a huge problem for this team. And he had six at Ohio State. He had seven in the win against Iowa. Both efforts were probably crucial, um, particularly he's been cleaning up the defensive glass, and it's, it's not – been by accident that Indiana's actually improved just a little bit in in protecting the offensive glass. Um, lately, they're not they're not great, but they're getting a little better. Um, I, no, I'm with you. I think I mean they they need the defense to or not the defense, excuse me, the, the bench to deepen. But like they also the problem is or well, I don't know if it's a problem. I don't know if it's an opportunity because I wanted to talk about Trey Galloway. Um, that's happening while all these roles are kind of being reimagined because you have a guy like Xavier Johnson who we don't know when he'll be back. Mike Woodson was deeply non-committal about that. You know, he I, said it, today uh, you weren't on the press conference. He said out. Yeah, I was, I was, he said I was, he used the word indefinitely. Now that we've been told is out indefinitely, but he's out indefinitely. That's kind of where it got around. Instead yet. of instead of being doubtful. Yes. Yeah. He's doubtful indefinitely. Which is combine the two words and really, now. We, the full phrase. He's doubtfully. Um, no, I mean, and, and, and I, there was a whole separate conversation around Xavier Johnson, obviously, um, related to the flagrant fouls and things, but just Indiana hasn't had – I mean, he's played 14 games this year. I mean, Indiana has, as a team, played 23. So they're coming up on as many games without him as with him. Um, 
And I think if last year taught you anything, it's, you know, we all kind of kept sitting around thinking, well, Indiana will be a different team when Xavier Johnson gets back and Amy wound up never coming back. So um, it, it's, it's tough because again, like Leal's commanding more minutes, Gabe's, Gabe Cups has to go back into the starting lineup. Mike Woodson kind of name checks CJ Gunn and Caleb Banks, Caleb Banks, Caleb Banks, Caleb Banks today as guys that he needs to kind of find a way to get some more confidence into and so forth. Um, but yeah, I mean, I don't think, I mean, Malik Renew did, and and Trey Galloway, neither one of them came off the floor in the second half at Ohio State. I think Kalel Ware, probably most or all of his second half bench minutes would have been because of fouls. There weren't many. Whenever Anthony Leal came on, and I'm not sure when he did, I think he was in the first round of substitutions, he didn't come off the floor. He played the rest of the game. And all of this is, is pretty damning on Ohio State, um, but this isn't an Ohio State podcast. Um. And I just sort of I think that the, the difficulty with the bench is you're kind of have to you're having to reimagine these roles for, you know, Malik Renew to some extent, certainly for Trey Galloway. And I wanted to talk about Galloway, but it's it's kind of it's kind of one of those where like it, it is the classic cliche of building the airplane while you're flying it because you're having to replace guys through injury. You're having to reimagine roles for some guys. And then you're looking down the bench and saying, OK, but I got to get these guys going, too. And it's it's tough to do that at this time of year. Yeah, and I well, I think that speaks to what Mike Woodson's been saying that he hasn't had a full deck, and that you know he to, you know today's been kind of shuffling guys around, uh, and so they haven't been able to sort of consistently like, you know, when you get the week of practice, I'm trying to think of the timing. So they had the week before Illinois, and everything they practice kind of gets thrown out because of the injuries a couple games later, right? That's right. So I mean, it's like, and they'll get another week here coming up, right after this uh, Purdue game. Um, and so, you know, maybe that helps, um, because it just feels like every time they've had sort of a, a, a longer sort of section to practice and kind of get focused and see what they have, you know, things change on them. And I think that he, you know, he's kind of talked about the last two times he's done, uh, press conferences, uh, zoom press conferences, not after game ones that sort of just lamenting the fact that he hasn't had the same group every time, you know, they get into those stretches um, that he's trying to have to kind of solve different problems. And I think that kind of speaks to what you're saying. I do want to talk about um, Trey Galloway. Obviously he was, I guess, if you want to call him the hero, um, him and Malik Renew, you know, really kind of a two man game in that second half against Ohio state um, Galloway, 25 points on nine of 15 shooting, hit all four of his free throws, six rebounds, four assists, two turnovers, one steal. I don't have the numbers right in front of me, but if I'm not mistaken, uh, I think he was seven of 10 in the second half with 19 of those points, all four free throws, four of the six rebounds, maybe two of the four assists. Um, the point is he really kind of came alive in the second half and, and Zion Brown had a really good piece uh, that I referenced that, that you should read at indystar.com slash sports. And that's going to be kind of, um, double down on the talking points when it posts tomorrow about just kind of Mike Woodson basically, you know, making Trey Galloway the, for lack of a, a better term, the point guard. I recognize that's not, you know, positions are not maybe so rigid in basketball anymore, but the guy that has the ball in his hands that initiates the offense, that is the one through, I mean, this was his, he used 24% of possessions um, against Ohio State. That was his highest, highest single game number since Kansas when he had the career high 28. Um, you know, Mike Wilson compared it a little bit, I think, to Jalen Huchifino. I know Zion did. It reminded me a little bit of when Indiana put the ball in Victor Oladipo's hands his sophomore year and just kind of said, okay, 
we need a different dynamic offensively and you're just big, strong, athletic, quick, your instincts are great. Teams are just going to struggle to defend you. If you, if we can get you downhill, it felt like that really worked for Indiana. Maybe not for the first time, but maybe in a way that, that has provided Mike Woodson enough evidence to say, okay, this is something I need to buy into a little bit more wholesale again, especially if it's not just about this year, but also about potentially next year. Cause Galloway has the fifth year. Well, Galloway's got to be aggressive like he was. I mean, at times, I, I don't think he's been like that, where, you know, he's calling for the ball and wanting to put it on his shoulders. And Oladipo not- was, was the same way a little bit. I know, I mean, this was years ago, but like he, you know, we could all see what Victor Oladipo had, but Indiana had other point guards. They had Jordan Halls, they had Verdell Jones, and then basically it was a uh, it was a game at Purdue, Oladipo's sophomore year, Jones had a shoulder injury and he was out. And it was real back and forth, and Indiana was kind of struggling to get a hold of it. And they'd lost three games in a row. It felt like the season's momentum was slipping. Um, and they just started putting Oladipo in high ball screen actions, and Purdue just couldn't handle it. And it was kind of the same thing where it was like, you know, necessity, urgency, whatever it was, something just clicked for Oladipo to just sort of stop hesitating and just attack, and he became a different player. Yeah, and I, I think you saw that. I mean, it was effective, obviously, but I, I think it's all about – sort of wanting to put it on your shoulders and being ready for that. And maybe this was the moment that uh, Trey kind of finally, you know, turned that corner and and, and realized like this is the player he needs to be. Um, um, and obviously he shot better, you know, his outside shooting has been, been rough this year, um, you know, from three point, uh, per, three point, the perimeter, especially, but um, you know, we'll see what, what, you know, he has in store going forward. I thought there were a couple of interesting statistics with Galloway. Number one, um, before this season, he had 10 games in his career of four or, or more assists. This year alone, he's had 12. Um, he's also got a higher assist rate and a lower turnover rate than Jalen Huchifino had last year. And actually, his assist rate is higher and his turnover rate is lower in Big Ten play than overall. So he's gotten – if we're if we're looking at kind of some of the – more sort of standard measures of what makes good point guard play. He's gotten a lot better there. Now, I think the the big difference right now to a hood Shafino to a, an Oladipo is the offensive efficiency. And I think actually it's probably less the three point shooting, although obviously I think Indiana would like to see that number climb and more just get fouled more often and make more of your free throws. Cause that's, that is a way to increase both output and efficiency, like really fast. Um, and I think Indiana would probably like to see him rebound the ball better. He was a decent defensive rebounder last year who's doing less of it this year. And again, that's difficult because if maybe you're asking more of him in some other areas, then he's not always going to be able to sort of focus on rebounding. But, um, you know, it, it, coaches are always going to be careful, like do how much do we put on a player and all this. But I think that especially if you are in this place where you kind of need to suspend any – any vision of the wider sort of landscape around you and just say like game to game, did we get better today? Did we get better tomorrow? Did we get better in this game? Do we get better in this game? Can we start? What, what is this? The term Signetti uses, can we stack good days? Like it does feel like buying into Trey Galloway as Indiana's sort of lead perimeter player in, in every sort of sense is something that in, I think would be really valuable for the Hoosiers to explore Number one, because, you know, games like Kansas and Ohio State and a couple others, you know, since the turn of the year, I mean, he was he was good in the loss to Purdue, although obviously no one was great that night. 
Um, you know, he had some he had some kind of good moments. He was good in the win against Maryland back in December, 12 points, six rebounds, six assists. Um, number one, because I think there's a chance he may have that level to go up. And number two, because, you know, whether it's this year, whether it's next year, whatever, like you need some of these cornerstone pieces to start emerging again in this sort of post Trace Jackson Davis cycle of, you know, rebuilding your roster into something that can be competitive and win again. Well, yeah, I mean, Woodson's been very uh, um, blunt in terms of of wanting more from his senior guards or his seniors particular in particular. Um, I mean, he hasn't hesitated in criticizing Galloway earlier this season, and I think he called you know their play. I think I I used this in a story, you know, horrible or awful or terrible. You know, use words like that, and so like you know, I, I think he's sort of beseeched and 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 he's wanted leadership from those guys um beyond kind of what they've been giving and so uh like i mean if you're looking to a guy to um you know without x uh you know anthony leal is limited in what he could do because obviously he has a smaller role so i think trey galloway is sort of well positioned to to be that guy uh going forward but like we keep saying it has you know you have to sustain it um and i think far too often um, the only player offensively that's done that this season is Malik Renew. And so um, Trey Galloway, I think, needs to show that he can do that over a course of, you know, not just once every while or once every half, every couple of games. Like, you can't, I mean, I, I feel like he's gone into a shell, you know, multiple times this season in, in terms of production-wise, um, where, you know, it, he needs to show he can do it over a longer period of time. And I think that, I mean, listen, I think that reflects back to the the wider conversation about this team, which is just that, that you know, it's, it's we tend to sort of frame like a search for consistency as, as you know, sort of some sort of challenge for younger players. But like it, it's it's a challenge for older players, too, when you're putting them in bigger roles, you're asking more of them, you know, leadership and, and whether it's tangibles or intangibles, whatever it is. Um, and that's actually in the, the kind of the last thing I want to touch on, um, because I thought. He struggled. I thought you could see he was still dealing with the um, the ankle injury against Penn State. I mean, he still had 16 points, five rebounds, three assists. But I actually think kind of the one player that that has maybe taken like the most credit for me from this season from in Indiana's perspective because of his consistency is Malik Renew. And the fact that basically so long as he's been healthy, Indiana's kind of like gotten – uh, just a, a basic level of production from Malik Renew almost all the time. The only two games in the last, I'm not sure what this would be, you know, but since starting with North Alabama on November 21st, the only two games that he didn't score at least 13 points were Purdue when he had eight points, he had some foul trouble. And then the Iowa game where he only played three minutes um, the rebound numbers have been very similar. The only game where he didn't have at least five rebounds was that Iowa game where he went out injured in that same stretch. He's turned himself into a decent three-point shooter. I think he's actually gotten better as a rebounder. His rebounding numbers have improved as the season's gone on. He has given Indiana this anchor point that, that maybe, you know, yes, there have been nights when it's felt like, I mean, you know, he had 28 in the loss at Wisconsin, and that sort of felt like, a, a I don't say a wasted effort, but Indiana was, was comfortably behind for so much of that game. But then you, you know, it, if you're Mike Woodson, you can look at Renew and say, okay, but you didn't stop playing at Wisconsin. Yes, we lost, but then you didn't stop playing at Ohio State, and you gave us the platform to build that comeback. And so it, it just it feels like he's like the, the guy that deserves 
kind of the credit for being just the, the consistent force for this group all year. Yeah, and I mean, he's battled uh, the ankles injuries. He had a back injury this season that he kind of battled through, um, and he's just sort of been, um, like you said, steady uh, where anybody else, you know, has been sort of lacking. And so I, I think it's impressive that he hasn't been sort of, the, you know, as the team gone has gone up and down, he hasn't. And I think that's been an important part. Why, you know, probably why this team hasn't bottomed out, to be honest, where the, where the, they could have lost a couple more games if not for his success. And I think you kind of thought maybe Mackenzie and Baco would be that second offensive guy or, you know, the guy that would be more dynamic, but it's really been simple. I mean, the offensive, I mean, you know, Malik Renew hasn't done anything different in these games, right? He's just been in the post and he's been a guy that drives to the basket and gets at the rim and teams haven't been able to slow him down the other night. Um, it, it's hard. All the games blend together, but he had that three, I think it was the Penn state game. We had three guys trying to rip the ball away he gets it and he gets it in and he kind of flexes and, and, and um, in the guy's face and you can kind of see, you know, the growth where he's obviously much stronger than he was last year. Um, Mike Woodson has talked a lot about that um, and just very, just effective with the hands in his ball, uh, the hands in his ball, <laughs> the ball in his hands right at the rim. We're going to move on to football. Uh, we have about seven minutes left. Um, I'm just going to leave that. Leave that where it is. Um, we talked to Kurt Signetti on Wednesday. It was signing day. It wasn't for Indiana. Indiana didn't add anybody, which wasn't a surprise. Um, but Signetti, you know, he, he offered a few injury updates. He talked about kind of overhauling his recruiting department and being really confident in kind of this this core three he has now of, of um, you know, Matt Wilson, Mike Ferreira, and I think his last name, I think it's Jordan Schroff, I think is how you pronounce his name, or John Schroff, excuse me. Um, you know, kind of in the in the sort of the scouting side for, you know, trying to evaluate players and, and sort of pare things down and recruiting in the portal. Um, you know, I thought it was just more than anything, it, it you know, it's funny because because Signetti kind of joked with us beforehand before we started that uh you know he hadn't done media in a little while and he, he was a little rusty and he needed to kind of like bone up on talking to the media again, essentially. But it, it felt like kind of the most normal, just sort of like, hey, how's it going? Like there was, you know, a media availability we've had with him just in the sense of it, you know, it was it wasn't introductory. It wasn't it, it didn't. He seemed comfortable. He just kind of seemed settled, I guess. And I just thought that was kind of an interesting change of pace. You didn't think he seemed settled? No, I, I did think he seemed settled. I mean, I think he's been the same in every – I mean, he's got very – he's not lacking confidence. And I think that's what he's expressed every time we've talked to him. That's true. Do you Google him? Is that what you're saying? I Googled I Googled him, and I saw where the confidence came from, right? I think because, because I mean, there were some good lines yesterday. I was like, I, I think it was me that asked him um, about the, the schedule because he, he was complain, not complaining, but just stating, like, there's going to be another round of – uh roster tweaking in the spring because of the second uh you know portal window and i said well what do you prefer and he's like well tell me the rules and i'll thrive under the rules you know it's like he's just that was his answer i mean you know not much many coaches have uh have much uh a lot more opinions about that situation obviously signetti doesn't that doesn't care yeah and for people who i guess don't know what we're talking about it's it's not just the spring portal window it's the fact that 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 multi-time transfer 
sort of loophole or whatever is still kind of right. wide open and nobody knows it's going to close. So in theory, you could transfer to a school for the spring semester, realize you're not going to get what you were promised and move on in in, in the spring portal window. Um, whereas before you would at least kind of be locked into staying with that that program until you could grad transfer. Um, I, you know, I thought the other thing was just him talking in a lot of different ways about recruiting, because that's obviously been so much of what's kind of been going on now. You know, there was the line, which I thought was another good line about, you know, we tell recruits, whatever you, whatever you think, you know, about Indiana, just burn the tape because we're doing something different. But then there's also, you know, he's, he talked about kind of his philosophy of like, we start in the state and then we kind of go to the surrounding region and, you know, he's, his belief that the basically the closer a guy is to, uh, you know, home. The, school, or, the more invested they are to the. Like the, the less likely they're going to be to transfer. But then you that doesn't mean you don't kind of reach further and further out as time goes on. And, and that doesn't mean you don't explore, you know, sort of more far flung recruiting um, pipelines. And then obviously, again, just talking about kind of his his remade sort of recruiting office for lack of a better term you know it, it, indiana didn't hire anybody to a, a designated general manager position some programs have that purdue has that but it's kind of the same idea of finding people that you trust are, are not just gonna be able to like watch film and break down a player's tape but know what you are looking for and connect can connect to essentially like what you want as a coach what you need in a given position and why you know, this player might be a better fit for you than this player, no matter what their ranking or their offers or, or or whatever else. And that's so important now, obviously, in particular in the portal era where you've got to make these evaluations really quickly and efficiently, but obviously be effective in them as well. I just thought it was interesting to kind of, you know, so much of kind of the there were a number of these different topics, but I thought recruiting was one we explored pretty in depth where we've talked to him so like 10,000 foot philosophical most of the time that we talked to him, but this was him being sort of being like, this is my process and, and this is what we do. And this is what I think works. And this is what I'm going to emphasize. It was just interesting to me. Well, give the staff credit too. I mean, he mentioned this, you know, the, the quote that I think everybody was kind of talking about was that he walked into a, uh, uh, crisis roster situation. They didn't have to sign anybody on signing day after being below 50 scholarship players, you know, projected when he walked, when he stepped in, they got all their work done during the open uh, portal window and opening signing period. Um, and they're back up over 85. Um, and, you know, he was said he was kind of even surprised that they got all the, you know, the quality tr of transfers that they got. Um, you know, a lot of them were, they were familiar with, but he really replenished the roster um, uh, quickly um, and efficiently and to the point where, um, they didn't have to sign anybody yesterday. Um, you know, they didn't have any, they didn't plug any holes. They just felt like they were, they were good. Um, and it allowed them to focus really uh, on the 25 and 26 classes over the last month. I mean, you talk about his focus in recruiting. I mean, he was on the road basically during the week throughout the month, visiting, you know, Indiana high schools and establishing those relationships along with his, um, assistants. And then they were hosting junior days on campus. So, um, you know, they're, they were laying the foundation for next year's class, uh, when, you know, if they didn't get that stuff done, they would have been, they would have had to split their focus. We'll leave it there for now. Um, I promise we won't take so long between this podcast and our next one. Um, but, uh, for now for the Indianapolis star, for the Louis Herald times, He's Mike Nislik. I'm Zach Osterman. This has been Mind Your Banners for February 8th, 2024. Thank you so much for listening. We'll talk to you soon. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of
uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.